we are going to open up God's Word together now, and we are going to look at the book of Obadiah. We're going to read the entire book of Obadiah, which isn't that difficult. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Obadiah. I will turn there in mine as well. It'll be found on page 1433 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. You will not find it, I don't think, I haven't looked at one, but you probably will not find it on page 1432 or page 1435, but you might find it on page 1333. So anyway, it's a short book, the shortest book in the entire Old Testament. Uh, Obadiah, we'll read the entire thing together. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding of the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, O Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever." On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster." You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy And the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble, and they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in 
Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together before we study it. Lord, we're grateful again for the opportunity we have to study your word tonight. We ask that you would bless us as we study it. We ask that you would open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts to your truth. For Jesus' sake, amen. (coughs) Your friends, let me ask you, who do you trust more to judge fairly? Yourself or God? That is, when, when somebody wrongs you, can you leave justice to the Lord, or do you need to take matters into your own hands? Do you need to avenge yourself? No, I'm guessing most of us here tonight have to confess that at least at some point in our lives, we have had a hard time to trust the Lord to judge fairly. We are much more prone to, when somebody wrongs us, take matters into our own hands and get back at them in whatever way we see fit. Certainly, children have this gift. But the book of Obadiah reminds us simply that God is our avenger, and that when somebody does wrong us, we can and we should leave vengeance to Him. We know almost nothing about Obadiah. His name means servant of the Lord, and we have a good reason to believe that, uh, that Obadiah was a common name in Israel, because throughout the Old Testament, we see no less than 12 different people who bear the name Obadiah. So I guess it was maybe the, the John of, of ancient Israel or something. Um, no offense if your name's John. I'm trying to think as I'm talking right now. I don't think I have a John in here, do I? Raise your hand if your name's John. We're Johnless tonight. That's, that's good. That was a good name. Good. Uh, now, just in this simple truth that we don't know much about Obadiah, uh, I think there's a good lesson for us, and it's that Obadiah's message is it's valuable, and it's authoritative, and it's worth listening to, and it's worth studying not because of who he is, but because through him the Lord is speaking. We see that uh, in verse 18. His words are the very words of the Lord. That's what gives this messenger credibility and authority. Sometimes today we get uh, get too wrapped up in individuals, don't we? We get wrapped up in the fame or the prominence of the messenger. When I go to conferences, um, I enjoy going to conferences, but one thing that often annoys me at conferences is that uh, the speakers are often introduced, and usually, and these are, these are, these are Christian conferences, right? So the, the speakers are introduced, and often they're introduced along with some sort of detail regarding how many books they've written. Supposedly, that adds credibility to their message. Uh, The fact is, it's the word of the Lord that gives a preacher credibility and relevance. If he speaks the word of the Lord to you, he's worth listening to. If he does not, he's not. We know nothing about Obadiah, 
other than he spoke the word of the Lord. And therefore, he has something to say. Now, just as we know little about Obadiah, so also do we know little about when Obadiah prophesied. The historical situation he refers to here is a, is a military assault on Jerusalem in which the Edomites participated. The Edomites are descendants of Esau, which is why you see Esau referred to uh, throughout this book. It's just a reference to the people descended from Esau. Edom and Esau are, are basically synonyms at this point. Uh, they're descendants of Esau, and they lived in the region to the south and to the east of the kingdom of Judah. Now, historically, Israel had their way with Edom. They kind of pushed the Edomites around. But here it seems that the Edomites capitalized on an opportunity to sort of kick Israel while they were down. You see that in verse 10, for instance. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction and so on and so forth. Edom, in some way, shape, or form, participated in the ransacking of Jerusalem. Now, in 2 Kings 8, 20-22, we, we read about the Edomites rebelling against Judah in the days of King Jehoram. This could be the time of Obadiah's ministry. This could be the situation he's speaking about. That would put it around 845 B.C. It would make him a contemporary contemporary of Elijah. Uh, most scholars, however, date Obadiah's ministry to the time of Babylonian invasions of Jerusalem. Ezekiel 35 tells us that when Babylon was coming against Jerusalem, the Edomites harbored an ancient hostility and delivered the Israelites over to the sword at the time of their calamity. I sort of see the relationship between Israel Uh, I should say, between Judah and the Edomites as sort of the relationship between Michigan and Michigan State football. That one time, like 10 years ago, when the Michigan football player had called Michigan State little brother, and they've like never forgot that. That's sort of what I see going on between uh, Jerusalem and the people of Edom, right? Just this, they are related, right? They, They both, they're from Jacob and Esau, they're from the brothers. Jacob sort of became prominent because of God's grace, and Esau was just even though he was the older brother, he was sort of the little brother, and he looked for any chance he could to take out uh, Jerusalem. But that, that, that seems to be, in all likelihood, when Obadiah prophesied during this time when the Edomites harbored an ancient hostility and delivered Israel over to the sword. Uh, that would put the date of Obadiah's ministry somewhere around or after 586 B.C. That's when Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. Now, this is, as we we saw for ourselves, a short book, and what God does in this book most simply is declare that He will avenge Edom's mistreatment of Israel. Now, the interesting thing is, this book, which is addressed to the Edomites, it's a book that's given primarily to the covenant community. It's basically a letter from God 
to the Edomites, uh, given through Obadiah, that's given to Israel to, to read. It's a book given to Israel. And in that regard, then, this book is a reassurance to the people of God that the Lord will work justice on their behalf, and He will avenge the wrongs done to them, and He will not let Edom get away with their mistreatment of His people. I think we could see how this truth set forth in Obadiah would bring tremendous comfort to those who've suffered persecution uh, for their faith. But even for us, right, the truth of Obadiah is an important truth to keep before us. This is what John Piper says, all of you have been wronged at one time or another. Most of you have probably been wronged seriously by someone who has never apologized or done anything sufficient to make it right. And one of the deep hindrances to your letting go of that hurt and bitterness is the conviction, the justified conviction, that justice should be done, that the moral fabric of the universe will unravel if people can just get away with the horrible wrongs they've done and deceive everyone. That is one of the hindrances to forgiveness and letting grudges go. It's not the only one. We have our own sin to deal with, but it is a real one. We feel that just to let it go would be to admit that justice simply won't be done. And we can't do that. So we hold on to anger and play the events or words over and over again with the feelings it shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't have happened. It was wrong. It was wrong. How can he or she be so happy when I'm so miserable? It is so wrong. It is so wrong. We can't let it go. And our bitterness starts to poison everything. End quote. He's right, isn't he? He's right. We have a hard time letting things go because we, 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 we sort of think that, that people are just going to get away with the wrongs they've done to us, that justice won't be handed down, it won't be done. But this truth set forth in Obadiah, that the Lord will work justice on behalf of His people and avenge the wrongs done to them, that is meant to lift that burden from us. That is meant to help us let go of our anger, even as we trust God with the wrongs others have done to us. Certainly the book of Obadiah says much the same thing to us as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, 17 through 19. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. How does the book of Obadiah point us to Christ? There are a few ways that Obadiah takes us to Christ. First, Jesus lived the life that the book of Obadiah calls all of us to live. In the days of Obadiah, Israel was mocked, they were treated with contempt, its people were handed over to be executed uh, by the Edomites. We see that again in verses 10 through 14. Jesus was likewise mocked, treated with contempt, handed over to be executed. What did He do in that situation? 
1 Peter 2.23 says he did this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did not take matters into his own hands. Even though he could have called 10,000 angels, as the old song says, he didn't. Jesus left vengeance to the Lord. He lived the life that the book of Obadiah calls all of us to live, and by so doing, he challenges us to respond in similar ways when people wrong us. He challenges us to likewise entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. The second way we see Jesus in Obadiah is that Jesus Jesus really endured the vengeance that Edom's sin deserved. You know, when we, when we read this book, it's easy to see ourselves as oppressed little Israel. And to think about all the people who have sinned against us and who have wronged us, and to think, yes, yes, avenge me, O God. Give these people what they deserve. But the fact is, sadly, each of us is probably as much oppressed Israel as we are oppressive Edom. For we too have sinned and committed injustice against the very people of God, haven't we? We've mocked God's people. We've treated God's people with contempt. We've handed God's people over, as it were. Some time ago, I received a friend request on Facebook. It's from someone I had gone to school with my whole life. I haven't seen him in 16, 17 years, however long I've been out of high school. As soon as I saw that person's friend request, I was sort of smitten in conscience, I should say, because I was, I was, I was, I was never nice to this person. In fact, I was, I was, frankly, I was a bully to this person. I was mean to him. He was a, he was a child of God. He was a member, still is a member of the covenant community. And it occurred to me that if perhaps he would have heard this sermon 20 years ago and thought of those who wronged him, maybe, maybe my face is actually the one that would have come into his mind. Maybe I was the Edomite in his life. I don't know about you, but I'm not innocent here. The judgment against proud and arrogant Edom that's handed down in Obadiah is also a judgment against me. And it's a judgment against many of you as well, if we're going to be honest. And the question that ought to come across our minds as we, as we think about our sins against the people of God, is what, what, what can I do to be saved? What can I do to escape this judgment? The answer, of course, is found at the cross. For there, God poured out His vengeance, not only against Edom's sin, but also against Israel's sin, and against your sin, and against my sin. And he poured it out on the very one who didn't deserve it, our Lord Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in him, there's forgiveness for our sins. The judgment against them has been handed down once and for all upon Jesus, never to be handed down again. You know, the fact is that everybody, everybody will experience God's vengeance, right? All of us have sinned. All of us will experience God's vengeance. But every person on earth will experience God's vengeance in one of two ways. Either we can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and accept that our sins have been avenged through His death on the cross, or we can refuse to come to Him in faith, and we can experience God's vengeance directly ourselves. So everyone will experience God's vengeance, but how will they experience? Will they experience it through Christ? Will they experience it on their own? That's the question. And as for, as for leaving room for God's wrath, now this is what we have to accept. When somebody wrongs you, when somebody sins against you, their sin will be avenged in one of two places. If they are not a believer, then their sin against you and against God will be avenged in hell. If they are a believer, then their sin against you was avenged at the cross. You might say, that's not fair. They shouldn't get off easy for what they did to me. But remember, your sin too has been avenged at the cross, and the moment you start asking God for justice, you're playing with fire. In closing tonight, short book, short sermon. Sounds good. I want to invite you to leave room for God's wrath. Some of us, no doubt, have been holding on to anger and bitterness for a long time. It's weighing us down. Make room for God's wrath. Make the choice to trust His justice over your own. John Piper tells this story. In 1974, my mother was killed in Israel. The story, as I was able to piece it together from others who were with her, is that a VW minivan full of drunken Israeli soldiers swerved out of their lane and hit the bus in which my mother and father were sitting near the front. The death certificate that I read ten days later, when her body arrived in Atlanta from Tel Aviv, said, Lacerated Medulla Oblongata. Unless you understand the circumstances of my growing up, you can't know what a loss that was to me at age 28. But as a tribute to the mighty mercy of God, I bear witness from my heart, I don't hate those soldiers. I do not wish them evil. In fact, it has occurred to me that they are probably today about my age or a little younger, and if any of them were reached with the gospel and believed in Christ, I would count it a great joy to be with them in heaven forever. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I am happy to leave it with Him. And this, I commend to you, is a wonderful way to live. This is freedom. And in this freedom are great open spaces for love. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you tonight and we confess that we are often people who want to take matters into our own hands. We are people who feel the need to right the wrongs that have been done to us. But vengeance is yours. You will repay. And help us, O oh God, to believe that. For those who have sinned against us, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, enable us to see and believe and trust and accept that their sins have been avenged at the cross. And for those who've sinned against us that aren't believers, 
Help us to show them the cross. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're going to sing Rejoice the Lord is King, I believe. Rejoice the Lord is King. That's number 228 in the uh, blue book. And I don't think, how many verses are there in that, Judy? Let's do uh, 1, 3, and 4. Does that sound good? Which one says, Our Lord the Judge shall come? Yeah, let's do 1, 3, and 4. Thanks. 228. blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen. I'm going to close with the doxology.